The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're constantly being bombarded with the images of us dying. People tagging you on death is not healthy. And usually they're doing it like, hey, did you see the video of George Floyd? I don't need to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see someone being murdered who looks like me. I just, I don't want to see it. But we're being forced to view our deaths. Hi there. Welcome to Students of Mind, the mental health podcast made by curious minds for curious minds. On this podcast, we the hosts are just like you, eager to learn more about the mind. Here we learn with you and provide you with clear, concise information backed up by real experts about all things mental health. My name is Jade. And my name is Amina, Jade's mom. On today's episode, we will be continuing our conversation about Black mental health with Dr. Tiffany Dent. So we've been, you know, it's, it's systemic racism. And we've been living in it for 400 years. Mm-hmm. But now we're in a period where, you know, three of our people have been murdered within a couple months of each other. And it sparked this movement and people are protesting mm-hmm. and sharing everything on social media. And, you know, it, it feels different mm-hmm. than anything else that I've experienced and that I've been hearing other people have experienced. So how is this particular instance and this particular movement, how is that affecting Black people's mental health? I I, I do think it's different. I think technology has a huge impact on what we're seeing at the moment. I, I think some of it is good for us because the things that we've been saying are now in people's faces and you can't just try to dismiss them as saying I'm paranoid or reading something into something that is not because many of us are hearing right now stuff like I didn't know really you didn't just because you didn't see it on video like I've been telling you this is happening but you know we have cell phones and we're now videotaping everything um and so we're able to show i was going into my apartment complex you were questioning me and saying that you fear me and yet when i'm going into the elevator you jump into an elevator with me are you really scared of me are you because i we're not usually going to jump into an elevator that's going to close with someone we're scared of. We're now able to show stuff like I'm just sitting in Starbucks drinking my drink and you call the police on me. Or, you know, you unleashed your dog in the park and I'm telling you, you have to put a leash on it and you weaponize it and call the police and say that I am threatening you when everyone sees this isn't happening. So not just the deaths of Tony McDade, who we don't seem to mention as much in these conversations, who was a black trans trans man who died around the same time, or Breonna Taylor, or Ahmaud Arbery, or George Floyd, that in these conversations, they're amplified because we are passing them along in social media. Um, So I think on some level, 
that is really causing the difference because we're also calling out those same people in our lives who are posting stuff on social media that's very racist. Um, and we're like calling them out in this culture and there's consequences for their actions. And we're asking, we're tweeting to companies and talking about what is your stance and they have to respond to us. Where before you wrote a letter, they never wrote you back. Now it's like at Starbucks, at Chase Bank and they can't and then everybody else is like yeah at Chase Bank and so they're being forced to respond in this moment to where they stand which does allow for change to happen more quickly um i think on some level there is that fire and that optimism because people and entities are coming out and responding and that people who are just weaponizing the police against us for living while black are losing their jobs. You know, so we're seeing that movement and there's that optimism in that space. I also think though, someone called it trauma porn, this whole idea of we're constantly being bombarded with the images of us dying, people tagging you on death is not healthy. And usually they're doing it like, hey, did you see the video of George? I don't need to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see someone being murdered who looks like me. I just, I don't want to see it, but we're being forced to view our deaths and that is traumatizing. That is, that causes anger and still some helplessness and still some anxiety because it's still happening. So I think there's these two pieces that emotionally we're trying to manage. And then we have this third piece of suddenly the people in our lives um, who are not black folks want to take up all of our emotional energy and our space and be all up in it. And no, I need you to answer these 15 questions and write a dissertation on racism for me so I can begin to understand and feeling this pressure of if I don't respond, are you then going to say, well, I tried. But then if I do respond, I'm tired and I don't want to. And now you're forcing me to do something in a moment when I'm already dealing with these other feelings. So we're juggling a whole lot and trying to figure out how do we manage all of these pieces along with what does resistance look like and that it's multifaceted. So we're trying to balance all of this and it's a lot. And in that, if we don't figure out how to manage all of those, we're going to still be depressed and anxious and stressed out, even though we're seeing this movement happening. Yeah. So with, with all of that, what are some basic things we can do to take care of ourselves emotionally right now? I think one of the things is to allow yourself to take a break. You don't have to go to every protest. I learned that. You don't have to go to every protest because resistance can also take the form of other things. It can be mentoring a Black child. It can be loving on your own Black child because the world is going to not love them like they should be. It could be going to a school board meeting and now they all on Zoom. Um, it could be, you know, writing a letter to a city council person. It's finding the ways that you can remain connected to the movement that is not taking up all of your energy. I think I also firmly believe that in these moments, I believe it all the time, but in these moments, you need to be in black spaces at times where you can fully and vulnerably express what is going on with you without judgment and without having to explain it. I know one of my psych friends, she just did a Zoom healing space for some black students at a university. 
because I helped her put that together. And just, it was for Black students only. You have to wait in the waiting room till we see your face and you ain't coming in here because they needed that space. And I think it's not just Black college students or that 19 to 20 year old group. I think it's all of us. I think that we also need to disconnect sometimes from social media, which is really hard. And then set boundaries in your social media. Don't send me another video of somebody dying in my DMs or post it on my page. I'm not doing this with you today. We also have to tell those people in our lives who are now suddenly trying to claim allyship, go to Google, look some stuff up. You can start with reading White Fragility. Don't stop there because it's a white chick and she's going to tell you what you, your, your barriers, but then you need to listen to black folks. And so then you need to pick up some other stuff. I've been posting this 21 day race and privilege workshop that's out of Snohomish, Washington. And so when people ask me stuff here, start here because I can't. And we have to be willing to do that. And so I think that those are some of those basic things. And I also, of course, say seek therapy because for some of us, it's not just this moment. This is bringing up a whole bunch of other stuff and seeking out mental health professionals in this moment. Many mental health professionals are doing telehealth. So even if you can't find one in your city, many are at this point, we've now got all the technology and they're starting to do, you know, I've connected people who are not in the city with therapists outside and they're doing some telehealth sessions. Look for on social media. We are having at times different organizations. I know the one out of Columbus. I'm on Ohio. I'm on that with them Saturday. Um, they're actually doing a healing space online um, where we're going to be addressing just kind of where we are as Black folks. So access those resources, give yourself a break, cut it off, set your boundaries with everybody, send folks to Google, resist in various ways in what way you can at that moment. So this is kind of stepping back a little bit. I feel like, especially in America, the idea of of being very individual and doing stuff for yourself and then even more in the black community like we need to be strong and do this on our own mm -hmm. and i i feel like that keeps black people from working together or like confiding in each other which i think is really important especially in a time like this um have you seen Black people coming together and supporting each other recently since everything has been going on? Or has it still been a little bit separate and individualized? I have seen a lot of this we need to be in community. I think protests bring out some of that as well because it's you're seeing everybody showing up in community for a common goal. Well, most of the people are there for a common goal. We know sometimes there are people who showing up and they on their own program, but I see it more there. I know even when we were, when I did with the Black therapist, we did a check-in with each other of where we are, and that was a part of it. I'm seeing, again, more online healing circle spaces being offered up. I'm seeing organizations talking about, you know, for one, COVID is kind of jacking us up because this is a time where we really want to be physically in community, and we're not able to do that. But I am seeing a lot of things on social media where people are developing these spaces um, and saying Black folks check in. Like, we need to be with us 
in a place that's not exhausting and is healing. And I am seeing more of that in this moment. I think it's it's partially this moment. And I think it's partially this younger generation that is acknowledging this need to be in collective community in times like this. So, and not this, I'm in this silo and it's only one of us that they recognize the importance of community. So I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to be a part of it. And, and I hope that it's something that we as a community continue to recognize is important and not just in our silos of organizations, but we just need to have these spaces where you don't have to belong to the same group that I belong to, but that we need to come and be together. Yeah, I think for me, specifically that having a space like that would be really helpful. Just having a space with other, you know, young Black people would be really nice, especially since I'm someone that grew up going to a white school, living in a a white neighborhood this this time period has been a little weird um mm-hmm. just because I you know spent a lot of time around white people and then when I transitioned to being older and spending more time around black people I was a little uncomfortable because mm-hmm. you know when you're a black person who was raised like in a white environment um some black people don't see you as black mm-hmm. Um, and I got a lot of that in high school. So right now I'm struggling with like, oh my God, all these people told me that I'm not black and mm-hmm. all of this, but I'm feeling the repercussions of everything that's going on right now. So it's definitely been hard for me to feel like it's okay for me to be struggling right mm-hmm. now. And I think, you know, what you're talking about, about just having more black spaces mm-hmm. would be really helpful for me. And I think the thing is, is that, we have been programmed to not demand that. And so it's when I actually go and present around the country, I always start with I'm black. I'm unapologetically black. I have a sign up that says caution black girl. You got to get all this blackness because on some level we have been programmed that we can't ask for that space and that other communities feel like they are entitled to our space. Even when we advertise, this is a, Black healing space. And we put up the signs and say, you know, this is for Black students. The best way to support these Black students is to not enter this space and to allow them this space. There's always someone who feels like they should be in the space to help you and to support you. And we have to be okay with saying that's not the case. I did for my birthday last year, I did a retreat for Black women specifically. And one of the things I advertised it, I don't even need to know you. I'm renting a house in my city, but you need to be social justice and you need to be a black woman, period. I had some people saying, well, I don't understand why they have to be black women because I said so. Because it's my space, because I want this opportunity for black women to be in this black woman space because We never get the chance to do it. I had people arguing with me, telling me I wasn't inclusive. And I said, you're right. In this moment, I'm not. I'm very specific about what this space is going to look like. And maybe one of the things you need to do is figure out why you feel that you deserve to be in every space. 
because one thing that Black people have to do every time we're in a space, we are questioned about why we're there and we have to prove we deserve to be there. So there is privilege in thinking you deserve to be everywhere. And so as Black people, we have to be okay with saying not today, this specific space in this moment we need this space. And anybody who really claims allyship, co-conspiratorship is going to honor that space and is going to also be the ones pushing back other people like, no, you don't belong here in this moment. So we just have to state it. Again, it was my money, my party. You can't come. People inbox me. I'm like, don't inbox me because I'm going to tell you the same thing. And so, and when the black women came, I had like 25 black women who came from different parts of the country and it was an unapologetically black women's space. And it's the energy of it was so much different than anywhere else I've been when it was women of color or black indigenous people of color or women or people, the energy of the room was different. And it was amazing. And it's something that every Black person deserves to experience. So how do we get Black people to even attend these types of events or, you know, participate in these healing spaces? Because we know once we get in them, how transformative they are and how healing they are and how comforting they are. But because generally we don't seek support on many different issues, how can we help more Black people as a whole to realize we should want to be in these spaces or even just open open ourselves up to participating in a healing experience? I think the thing is, is that I've not had an issue with people coming um, unless you have it someplace where we don't even go. I think sometimes that is the problem. We don't choose to have them in the communities that we're trying to reach. And so you're asking people to come to an area where Black folks don't live in order to experience this. So we then have transportation issues. We have discomfort because you're taking me out of where I live. So I think part of it is we have it where and when Black people can show up. We can't have stuff at four o'clock on a Thursday. We got to work. I mean, we can't have it. And at times we also have to realize, do we offer daycare services in those moments if I have to bring my children? Is it, how much does it cost? Um, who's going to be leading it? And then we just need to really be clear on offering that space and letting people know and reaching out to people. The ones that I have attended have gone very well. I'm always surprised at how many people actually come because it's usually more. And we make it very clear, this is not the place to bring your wife friend. I, this is not the, you have a biracial child. And so therefore, as a white person, you're entitled to the space. Like we're very clear that this is what it's going to be about. And I think that our community is really looking for those spaces it's just we need to offer them and we need to be clear that that's what we're offering. And again, not on the Thursday at four o'clock.
So you've talked about allies a little bit, and we've for sure seen an an influx of support from non-Black people on social media recently. And I'm curious to see what your opinion is on how that is affecting Black mental health. Just how seeing all of these people, all of these non-Black people posting and talking about racism, how that's affecting our emotional health, if at all. I think it depends um, on what they're doing and saying. There are those who say, I want to be an ally, but you need to come at me in this particular way so I can remain comfortable. And you need to explain stuff and give me a dissertation and multiple citations to justify that this is really as pervasive as you're saying. You at the same time need to realize I'm not those other people. I have no privileges. And so I'm one of the good ones and you need to make me feel good about myself and my attempt to be allying with you. Those people are exhausting and they get on my last nerves. And I think for black people, it's frustrating because I don't need this from you right now. The goal is not to make you feel comfortable when we're constantly in a a state of discomfort. And it is not when I'm making comments about my experiences, it's not for you to come back with, well, not all of us, not me. That's exhausting and it's not helpful. I think I am one of more of a co-conspirator type of person. Like, I want to know that you are going to protest with me. You're going to call it out wherever you see it, even when it's in your own family, that when other people are coming at Black folks trying in your community, are coming at Black folks trying to negate the experiences of Black people, I don't, I shouldn't have to pick up that fight. Like, You should be in there having that conversation with your community and acknowledging your privilege. And that is helpful. And that gives hope and less weariness than the first one. So I think it depends on how someone shows up in those moments. And unfortunately, I see a lot of the the, the former, a lot of the, but not me. And I can't believe this is happening. And I have no privileges because I didn't grow up wealthy. And it's like, you ain't getting an idea of what privilege looks like. I'm like, I got some privileges. I absolutely do. And I honor them and I own them. And I also use my privilege when in situations where they exist to help and amplify the voices of those who do not. So I think depending upon which one you get, one is helpful. One allows you to like relax for a moment because they they going to handle some of their own folks and they're also going to be pushing to dismantle these systems that harm us. The other one is going to get on your last nerve, stress you out more, and your interactions with them are tiring because you're like, here they come again. And no, Joan, I'm not talking about you. I didn't. Well, you said all you said white people and I'm white. Well, Joan, like I don't got time for that. And I think with our coworkers, especially, we're being put in that position a lot more. And with those that we don't really have as close of a relationship, we're suddenly wanting to be all up in our faces. And it's not the time for that. Do some work on your own. Yeah, I I find that I've been more kind of just like annoyed <laughs> with <laughs> like some of the stuff that people are posting, mm-hmm. especially like uh, with the larger corporations. I have found that it it feels a little insincere 
because I've gotten emails, uh, notifications on different <laughs> social medias of letters that have been written by mm-hmm. Nike or Netflix or mm-hmm. Amazon, stuff like that. So I, I'm wondering your opinion. Is that doing anything? <laughs> How is that making Black people feel? What is the effect of that? I think that Black folks are side-eyeing a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things is is that those people who have been demonstrating Black Lives Matter don't have to put out a letter because we already know. You know, one of the things that um, I'm seeing now is people are saying, well, what investments have you made in Black communities? What does your board of directors look like? What does your leadership team look like? So you can put out these statements. And I think we're side-eyeing them just the same way as you are. It's like you're saying we believe Black Lives Matter and we stand in solidarity again what investments have you made in the Black community? What does your board of directors look like? What does your leadership pipeline look like? Do we see people that look like us within that system? And if you need to put out a statement to say it, I think of it like my husband doesn't have to come and tell me he loves me because I know it by how he interacts with me on a daily basis. So when someone feels like I have to tell you this, it's because you're not showing it at all. So, you know, I think we're side-eyeing it. Like here comes another one, here comes another letter, here comes another celebrity coming out and saying, from this moment on, I'm going to see it and do something about it. And we're like, really, this is what it takes? Like we have to keep dying? What happens six months from now if hopefully there's not another tape of us dying? Are you still going to be caring? Are you putting in policies? So I think some of it is this side eye, we ain't believing that you really mean in all of this, mixed with, okay, let's see you actually make some changes within your organization. And I think that's the difference, I think, with this generation in terms because technology is allowing so much access that people are like, oh, let me look up your board of directors and let me post a picture of all of them and you don't have anybody. What is your plan? And so, and then they're posting it to 15,000 people who are now like, oh, we're going to repost that you don't have. And so I think part of it is that companies are making these statements and then our community is saying follow up with actually doing something and we're be, and we're actually looking for that. So I think that piece of it is that weariness, that side eye mixed with, okay, now you said it. Now you're energizing us to say, how do we hold you accountable for this? Um, so as we work to unpack everything that you just said, in addition to any daily stresses or um depression and anxiety that we deal with on a regular basis. Do you have any resources that that you like that are available right now that people can access? Yes, I have some. So there's a book called Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom to kind of address um, this moment. And that's by Bettina L. Love. There is a book called Black Girl Blues by Carolyn Strong that addresses interracial bullying and Black girls. The National Education Association has a division called Ed Justice. So they are neaedjustice.org. And so they actually have a a bunch of great resources on what this looks like and should look like in educational spaces. 
um, for mental health. Black Women's Health Imperative has a, some great research and suggestions on what this looks like, both physical and mental health for Black people, especially existing in racial trauma. The Association of Black Psychologists and the National Alliance on Mental Illness has a section on Black mental health. For people who want to support the movement, I always say follow these folks because when you follow them, they are always updating everything on their social media. So, of course, Black Lives Matter, New Voices for Reproductive Justice comes from the lens of what this intersection of race and reproductive justice, not just abortion, but also access to appropriate sexual help and resources for Black folks. Black Women's Blueprint focuses on sexual violence, intervention and prevention, um, showing up for racial justice, National Black Women's Justice Institute, the NAACP, and for girls, I recommend Girls for Gender Equity, which is out of New York City. So those are some different organizations that are kind of working in various areas of racial justice and racial trauma. Thank you for those. And they'll be listed in our description. Mom, did you have a question? I did. Um, I wanted to know if you have ever considered a larger platform to address Black mental health and our issues. So you just listed some great resources. Mm -hmm. Do you think we need a more um, unified effort to discuss our mental health issues, the systemic racism and the effect it has on um, our mental health? Or do you think we should just continue with the different organizations that focus on different pieces of mental health? I mean, I think that it's always good to have multiple options. I, I mean, I'm supposed to be doing a podcast um, <laughs> that has not happened. Um, <laughs> For one, I don't know how to do one. But but yeah, I, I think that for our community, any resources that are going to hone in and be a one-stop shop to begin that access is important. So yeah, I would love it. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's very important. I know the what the work that we're doing is actually just looking at issues affecting black women, girls, and families. Like that is what we're focusing on in all areas of education, social justice, mental health. But I do think that having a space where you know that you're coming to this space and it's we're going to talk about different areas of Black emotional health and what how that shows up for us. I think it's an awesome idea. There's not anybody I follow in terms of who does an ongoing podcast. I know Dr. Natalie Whitlow does do One Dope Psychologist. She's a friend of mine. So she has started to do some Facebook Lives around mental health and various topics. Her husband actually is her co-host. So I, I really love how they're doing that because it's a different topic every week. So I know she is doing that on Facebook Live. I'm hoping that she moves and does it um, as a podcast. She started it during these COVID-19 days of being home. But yeah, I mean, she's addressing, she did stuff around COVID-19. She's She's been doing stuff about racial trauma. She's done some great stuff on even raising children in this current climate. So she, and she's always asking for additional topics. So I'm loving the work that she's doing and I'm hoping to see more of that from her as well as doing some stuff myself, probably 
I'm waiting for my one of my co-hosts for finishing her dissertation defense. So we said we weren't going to start it until her dissertation defense was over. So hopefully we'll be starting something in July or August. So it's great. Um, so to kind of close everything out, I'm wondering if you think that this time of unrest and this movement that has been started if this is different than all of the times before when we've come together to speak up against systemic racism in America, do you think that this chain of events and what's happening right now is going to spark the change um, that's needed for the Black community? I'm hopeful that it is. I think it is somewhat different because the information that is getting out is coming from us, that we're not having to rely on some third party. You know, in previous generations, it was mainstream news. So it's what you got from them. It was you heard what was going on in your community, but not necessarily anywhere else. You were also forced to only hear about the narrow pieces that they wanted you to, what led, and then all the other things around it. You either didn't hear about it or it was framed in a way that you didn't get to decide how you were going to perceive and interpret it. So I think in this moment, we are kind of on the ground telling our own stories. So we are doing the videotaping. We are doing the Facebook lives and the Instagram lives. We're doing the podcast. We're talking about, hey, this hasn't been in the news today, but let me tell you what's happening here in Georgia when I'm standing in line and they're cutting, closing my polling stations. And I'm telling you it in the moment. And I'm tweeting to the governor in the moment that you have closed my polling station and everyone's retweeting it and calling the governor and addressing these issues. So I think the difference in this moment is that we have more control over how we are amplifying our voices and the information that's getting out there. We had Rodney King because someone happened to have a videotape going in their apartment. But now we know about George Floyd because I think her name is Darnella was standing there and she she was a teenage girl, teenage black girl who stood there in all of her trauma and witnessed him being killed because she also knew her intervening would end up with her dying. So as I either stand here in my trauma and watch this and film this so the world believes it. Or I go, I get, have the choice to go away. Or if I try to intervene, I'm going to die too. Because if you think that they're, you know, we have police officers standing with their hands on their hips as they're killing a man, do you think that they're going to stop, especially because we know how the world views Black girls? So, you know, I think in this moment, we have the ability to shape the narrative. We have the ability to organize um, across the country and not in the slow forms that we had to do before, because now we're texting people immediately. We are getting on you know, video immediately and broadcasting it all over the place and telling people, join us. And that also in these movements, if we're really listening to the organizers, they've been doing work on a daily basis before protests were happening. And if we continue to listen to them and do this multifaceted approach um, that includes voting and mentoring and holding people accountable and really identifying what defund the police really means, if we actually follow through with those things, 
we have the ability to hold ourselves accountable a little bit more than we did before because we're able to say, are you voting today? Who's at a city council meeting? Did you even know that your city council was meeting today? And so we're kind of able to amplify our stories and also our course of action. So I'm hopeful, more hopeful than I've been. I have so much faith in your generation, which makes me feel old when I say your generation, but I have so much faith because I, I, I also see this passion and this willingness to be more unapologetic and not buy into respectability politics of how you must show up. And that is just so hopeful for me. That helps my mental health. <laughs> and then we just need to figure out how do we best support your generation because this is your movement. We are just there to listen and figure out how do we make sure that you're emotionally and physically safe as you lead us in this work to hopefully continue to dismantle these systems that have harmed us for all of these centuries. So I'm excited. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. I'm I'm really excited to share this discussion because I think it'll be really helpful. So thank you so much. You are welcome. You are welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate both of you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Students of Mind. I want to give another big thank you to Dr. Tiffany Dent. I'm really happy that we were able to have her on the show for these first two episodes about Black mental health, and I think that they went really well. So be sure to follow her on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, which will all be linked in the description of this episode. Also, be sure to share, subscribe, and leave a review on our podcast. Otherwise, we will see you next episode. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.